Hey, turn to your neighbor and tell them um, you're sick and tired of all the bad news. Turn to your other neighbor and tell them, I'm ready for some good news. Well, good evening, Night Church, and welcome to our service this evening. Uh, special welcome to all of those of you who are watching online. How's it going? Um, thanks for tuning in to our service uh, this evening. It's fantastic to see you all here, and the reason why it's fantastic that you're all here is because tonight and for the past couple of weeks, we've been speaking and hearing about the greatest subject of all time. Um, you know, it's the most vital, the most crucial, the most essential, the most significant, the most influential, the most prestigious. I'm running out of adjectives here. It's the goat subject of all Christianity. Actually, let's take it one step further. It's the greatest thing that has ever happened in the history of all mankind. I'm talking, of course, about the good news. And you know, if you've been with us for the last couple of weeks, you would have heard it, um, you know, a couple of times so far. Or if you found yourself around church, um, you know, you would have heard it one, two, or a hundred times, right? I mean, actually, show of hands. Who's, who's ever heard the good news before? Yeah, that's about what I expected. But it makes sense, right, that this important subject is so well known and so well talked about in the church. And, and I was stoked when I found out I was going to be preaching on it because uh, the good news is my bread and butter. Um, and it got me thinking about the, the good news. And I thought about the good news, and I think, you know, isn't it funny that Jesus even decided to call it the good news? Like, like when I think about good news, I don't know about you guys, but when I think about good news, I think about just like everyday stuff, eh? Just like the normal highs of life, like uh, maybe I got a good grade on a test or assignment, that's good news. You know, maybe, mom, maybe I'll find out mum's already fed the chickens today, that's good news too. Or maybe my NFT's gone up in value, that's good news, I don't know, but, but I don't think about life-altering stuff, eh? I just think about normal stuff, and, and so I was thinking about this, and, and you know, if it was me titling it, I would have given it something a little bit more in your face, like maybe Immortality 101. Or perhaps the meaning of life. Or actually, even better, how to live forever. Something that people would have heard and gone, heck, I should probably know about that, you know? But that's just one of the cool things about Jesus and the way that he, he uh, delivers his gospel is that, you know, he never wanted anyone to feel forced or pressured into it. He wanted people to be able to choose grace out of their own free will. You know, you could imagine, actually, let me set the scene for you. You know, I'm walking down the street. And I come across some kid, and I say to that kid, Hey, kid, you want to learn how to live forever? And they're going to freak out, right? They're going to cry. They might even call the police. Or maybe I'm talking to my friends, and I'm like, I'm like guys, I got it. I know what the meaning of life is. You know, you know, you know you've, you've all got that friend, day, eh? And you're just like, oh, not this again. You know, I'm sick and tired of philosophical Samuel. But Jesus, he wants it to be normal. He wants it to be talked about in everyday conversation. And so he calls it the good news. Hence creating what I think to be the greatest understatement of all time. And uh, tonight we're diving deeper into, into said understatement. And um, the way that I want to do that is to first just start by breaking down the good news to just a real simple basic form. Because uh, I believe that it's important for, for us to first have a foundation and, and all be on the same page before we dive a little bit deeper into, into Jesus and who he was, right? So that's how we're going to do it. And, um, you know, it won't matter if you've heard the good news before, uh, because my relationship with Jesus is unique from your relationship with him. And the way that he reveals his truth to me might be different from the way that he reveals his truth to you. 
So tonight you'll get to hear my perspective and, and maybe you learn something, maybe you don't. But what I can be certain about is that there is an abundant amount of revelation in every single part of the good news. And so we can't actually overlook any of it, right? All right, sounds good. Well, before we get into that, uh, let's, just, let's just pray over tonight's message. Dear Lord, would you grant me, your servant, great boldness in preaching your word? Father, would you stretch out your hand with healing power and may miraculous signs and wonders continue to be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And all of God's people said, Amen. So what is the gospel? What is the good news, right? What is just the one, two, three version of the good news? Well, let's do it. When God first created the world, he created the world in perfect order. Now, this means that there was no sin, okay? Now, sin, for those of you who don't know, is, is everything bad that you can think of. You know, like I'm talking sickness, death, poverty, famine, lust, greed, envy, all that stuff is lumped in to sin. And when God first created the world, this stuff, it, it didn't exist. Um, but when Adam and Eve, who were the first man and woman created by God, disobeyed God, it allowed for sin to enter into our world. And just like that, mankind became bound by the chains of sin. And because we're bound by these chains of sin, you know, we became so uh, afflicted by pain and suffering. And we'll see this pain and suffering literally everywhere we look, right? Like you see it in yourself, in your friends and family, you see it in your workplaces, on social media, on the news, and world leaders, in our marketplace. Everywhere we look, there's pain and suffering. You know, the reason that it's like that is because sin has been with us since just after creation. And we know that sin's objective is to destroy and decay and corrupt the nature of God's perfect world. And so since then, since just after creation, it's been doing that the whole time. And here we are at, in 2022, and it's just everywhere, eh? Like pain and suffering, we see it all across the entire world. You know, and because God knew this would be the case, he knew that we would need a savior, someone who, someone who could come and free us from our bondage and restore our relationship with God. And so God sent his son, Jesus, fully God and fully man, the only one who was able to walk this earth and yet also bear the weight of that sin and shame. You know, and when Jesus died on the cross, so did all the sin of all those who believe in him. But Jesus, he didn't just die for our sins, eh? He died so that we could have eternity. Now, I know I need to stop for a second there because when, when I say the word like eternity, I know there's at least a few of you that thought, whoa, 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 aren't we doing a simplified version? Like, why are you trying to overcomplicate it with things like eternity? Like, trust me, I've been exactly where you are. I've been sitting there. The preacher starts talking about eternity. My head goes up into the clouds and I think, eternity? Brother, I'm just trying to get through Monday. Like, I'm not mentally prepared for this kind of thing. You know, I'm trying to wind down on my Sunday night. Not, not wind up. And that's what we do, eh? That's what humans do. We, we overthink things. We overcomplicate things. And we make uh, these simple things more complex than they actually have to be. And God knew this about you. God knew this about me. And he knew that we have the attention span of a goldfish, right? And so he made it as simple as he could. This is how it goes. If you believe in Jesus, believe he died for your sins, and believe he was who he said he was, 
you now become saved, right? Sinless, because you're covered by the blood of he who was sinless. And now that you're covered by the blood of Jesus, you're seen as righteous and clean before God and freely gifted eternity, eternal life. Let me just say that one more time. If you believe in Jesus, believe he was who he said he was, you now become saved and sinless because you're covered by the blood of Jesus. And because you're covered by that blood, you are now seen as righteous and clean before God and freely gifted salvation, freely gifted eternal life. Um, you know, you might think to yourself, well, that's all good and well for you because, you know, you've come up with this formula that makes sense to you. But Samuel, it's a little bit more complex than that. Well, I hate to break it to you, but it's not. It's actually incredibly simple. And I didn't come up with anything, right? I was actually reading this um, interesting book the other day. Um, it's called The Bible. And in the Bible, in Romans chapter 3, it says this exact thing, right? It says, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. And to all who believe are justified freely by God's grace through the redemption that came by Jesus. Now, this is exactly what we've just heard, right? If you, believe in, if you believe in Jesus, you're now gifted with this sense of righteousness. And now that you are righteous, you are freely justified by God's grace to gain salvation, to gain eternal life. Um, you, know, sorry, um, you know, you'll notice in those three stages as well uh, that there was only one thing that you actually had to do, right? There's only one thing that you have to do. Believe in Jesus. There was no further requirements. There was no further stipulation. I didn't throw a prerequisite course in your face. It was just believe in Jesus. And that is why the good news is also called the gospel of grace. Because it's by God's grace that we have been saved, not through anything that we've done. How do I know that? Well, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 says it. It says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a free gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done. You know, if I haven't, if I haven't quite nailed that point home yet, I really want to. Because even at its most simple form, the good news is one of complete grace, right? It's, it's all through God's grace that we get salvation. And so if I haven't quite nailed that point home, let me say something controversial. Because, hey, we know controversy wakes people up, eh? Right, this will be the one part of my message that you remember. Here we go. You don't have to go to church. You don't have to pray. You don't have to read your Bible. You don't have to go to your connect groups. You don't have to go to the prayer meeting. You don't even have to serve at church. All you have to do is believe in Jesus. See, the reason why we as Christians do all these other things is because, is because as, as, as our belief in Jesus grows, as our faith in him grows, we start to recognize the magnitude of what God has gifted us with and the reality of how much he actually loves us. And in response to that, we want to praise and worship him and love him in return. And so we go to church and we pray and we read our Bible and we be obedient to his word and we honor his truth in our life. You know, we go to connect groups. We start going to the prayer meeting and serving at church. And as we draw closer to him, he starts to reveal more of his truth in our lives. 
You know, we don't do it because we have to. We do it because we want to. So the simplified version of the good news is that those who believe in Jesus are now saved from sin and freely gifted eternal life, freely gifted their salvation. And, uh, you know, as much as, as, as that's the basics of it, there's, there's obviously a whole lot more to the gospel and, and uh, the good news, sorry, and we're about to get into that tonight. And, and the way that we have to do that is, is to look at Jesus, right? Because as much as it is the good news of Jesus Christ, the good news also is Jesus Christ. So everything that he did and said during his short time on earth is, is now for us to, to unpack and seek further revelation in, right? It's for us now to study and, and use as a guide in, in how to live. So that, uh, that brings us to tonight's scripture. A uh, bit of a long introduction, but we got there. Uh, to tonight's scripture, and it's found in John chapter 3, verses 1 to 21. If you have your Bibles, uh, feel free to follow along. Otherwise, I believe it's going to be, yep, there it is. Um, otherwise, I'm reading as well, so you can even close your eyes if you like. Here we go. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he, um, after dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean? exclaimed Nicodemus. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, and just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going, so you can't explain how people are born of spirit. How are these things possible? Nicodemus asked. Jesus replied, you are a respected Jewish teacher and yet you don't understand these things. I assure you, we tell you what we know and have seen and yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his Son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only Son. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light so others can see they are doing what God wants. You know, so I feel it's important to, to first kind of just give this scripture uh, some context so we can better understand what's, what's um, actually going on here. Uh, so we have a man named Nicodemus and Jesus meeting at nighttime. Now, we know who Jesus was, but, but this man, Nicodemus, as it says in verse 1, was a, was a uh, Jewish leader and a Pharisee. 
Now, a Pharisee, for those of you who don't know, is basically this, this group of men who had dedicated their lives to reading and studying and memorizing the Old Testament of the Bible. Now, of course, it's the Old Testament because the New Testament hadn't been written yet. Uh, but these, these Pharisees, because they were so knowledgeable um, around the Old Testament, they were very heavily set under the ways of the Old Covenant, right? Which is the covenant of law. Um, so they believed that there were certain things that had to be done, like, like rules and regulations that had to be followed in order for them to attain their salvation. Which, of course, was true for them at the time before Jesus. But, but, when, but what we know now is that when Jesus came, he came to fulfill the old covenant, right? To fulfill the covenant of law and bring forth the covenant, the new covenant, which is the covenant of grace, which is what we've just heard about. Um, you know, these Pharisees, they also knew that Jesus was coming uh, because the Old Testament of the Bible, as probably a lot of you are aware, is, is filled with prophetic scripture pointing towards Jesus, right? Pointing towards this coming king, this, this coming resurrected king. And because of this fact, and also because of their circumstances, so like the, the Jewish people were very heavily oppressed by the Roman Empire at this point. And, and in light of these two facts, the, the Pharisees believed that Jesus was coming in the form of an actual king, right? Like a powerful ruler, someone with enough resources and armies to, to uplift them and free them from their captivity and to rise the Jewish people to power. And so when Jesus came in the form that he did, you know, a tradie empowered by the Holy Spirit, walking around with a group of people, healing the sick and performing signs and wonders and miracles and claiming to be the Son of God, they despised him for it. They hated his ministries and they were jealous of the impact that he was having. And they actually refused to believe that he was who he said he was. But luckily for us, we have one exception a man named Nicodemus. You know, Nicodemus was coming to a realization that if this guy, if this Jesus guy was truly who he said he was, he could not overlook him. He could not go by without hearing what Jesus had to say to him. And so they met at, um, and so they met at nighttime. And now the reason they're meeting at nighttime is because, you know, these two can't be seen together, right? Uh, the, the, it would have caused outrage amongst the Pharisees. Um, and also, as much as Jesus was recognized, uh, sorry, as much as Nicodemus was recognizing Jesus as the Messiah, he was also very aware that he needed to be cautious, right? He needed to, to be cautious uh, to not endanger himself or, or endanger his family. And so we have this secret meeting. And that's exactly where I want to start as we further elaborate this passage, the secret meeting. Because I reckon that it's something that a lot of us can actually relate to. Now, I know that you probably haven't met with Jesus on the rooftop in the middle of the night before. And if you have, I'd love to, love to speak to you about that. But, but, you know, as much as we probably haven't experienced this exact thing. And so what do I mean when I say that you can relate to it? Well, let's start with Nicodemus. We know that he was a leader amongst the Jews, and we, we know that he was a Pharisee, so we can assume that, that this Nicodemus guy, you know, he was, he was pretty high up the pecking order, right? He, was, he had a pretty prestigious title. And because he had this, this status and this title, we can assume that he had a pretty extensive priority list of things that he had to do or say or be in order to uphold this status. And, uh, you know, this list, this priority list that Nicodemus had, 
is something that I reckon we all have, eh? We all have in our life one of these lists, one of these lists filled with, with priorities of things that, you know, and they're in order of, of, of how much we prioritize them in our life. It's, it's a big, big, long list, you know? Uh, like, you, it might be faith, family, and friends, and, and, and way, 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 way down there somewhere is, is you know, like Christmas present wrapping. Well, that's actually my one, but maybe, maybe your one is something different, you know? Maybe it's, it's career and then wealth and health, and, and way down there is, I don't know, hula hooping or whatever. You know, whatever it might be, we've all got one of these lists, right? But what we see happen to this list as, as Nicodemus starts to recognize Jesus as the Messiah is that he realizes that he needs to put Jesus into his list. He needs to fit Jesus in to the priority list, which sounds weird, eh? Like, which sounds weird to hear. But this is something that we all experience in our life. Uh, when we first hear about Jesus and who he was, we fit him into the list, right? Uh, maybe, maybe you were, you, you know, maybe you grew up in a Christian family and, and your mum and dad talked to you about Jesus, and so you heard about him then, and at that point, you put him in the list. Or maybe you went to a youth group, a friend invited you and heard about Jesus there, and you chucked him into the list. Or maybe you just randomly stumbled into church one day, heard about Jesus, and, and, and you know, you still, you put him into this list. And, and you know, Jesus' spot in that list is all depending on how much, you know, you have a relationship with him. That's how it kind of grows. Well, you might be wondering, what do these lists have to do with the secret meeting? Well, let me tell you. The reason why we even have a secret meeting in the first place in this passage is because Nicodemus hasn't yet got Jesus as his number one priority, right? I mean, I think this is fair enough for him at the time. He's only just meeting with Jesus for the first time in his life, right? And so, you know, Jesus, you know, he might be still under some other priorities like, like status or family or safety or, or something like that, you know? And so we have this secret meeting. And here is where I think that we, we can actually relate to Nicodemus. Because often at our times, uh, sorry, often at times in our life, Jesus can fall from the top step of our priority list. You know, or maybe Jesus isn't even there yet, you know, for you. But often at times, Jesus falls from this top step of our priority list. And, and you know, the problem, you know, maybe you've had Maybe you've had an especially busy week with work or study, or, or maybe something's happened in your life that's caused you to, to shift your focus away from Jesus and onto something else. You know, the reason why this is, uh, this is a problem, um, the reason why this is a problem is that, you know, when Jesus isn't your number one priority in life, church can become your secret meeting. What do I mean by that? I mean, you know, you're happy to go to church and, and praise and, and worship him there. You're happy to learn about him while you're at church. You're happy to talk to your friends about him while you're at church. But the moment that you step away from church and into your Monday or your Tuesday or your Wednesday life, the world convinces you that you have to focus on something else. You know, to shift your priorities away from the good news because the enemy knows that if he can fill your list up with things that are not the good news, that are not Jesus, he can burn you out. What do I mean by that? Well, I mean this. Well, you know, if, if Jesus isn't in the number one spot on your, on your list, um, 
you know, you're, you're forced to, to, to start juggling, right, these, these, these things in your life, these priorities in your life. And, uh, you know, you might, you might get incredibly good at juggling them. You might become the greatest juggler in the world. But even the greatest juggler in the world, I know I've talked to him before, even the greatest juggler in the world knows that he has to take a break at some point, right? And it's at that point that all of these things in our life come crashing down because we don't have Jesus set in place to hold them all up. But here's the good news. Because we have the solution, and his name is Jesus. And if you keep putting Jesus in your number one spot, if you keep moving your focus back to Jesus every time it slips away, he's the only priority in your life that can bring balance and peace to the remainder of your priorities in your life, right? He is the only one who can bring a true sense of balance and peace to the rest of your life. And this is the renewing spirit that Jesus has. This is the renewing nature that Jesus brings us through his spirit. Romans chapter 8 verse 6. For to set the mind on flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Which brings us right back to our scripture, right? Because, you know, this, this renewal, it first comes to us when we're born of the Spirit. And I love how Jesus explains it here as wind um, in verse 8, because that's exactly what it's like, eh? Like, we can't track it, we can't keep tabs on it, and we definitely can't keep a list of the th- all the things that it's doing. Not even my wife. And she's an incredible list maker. But, you know, we can't keep tabs on it. And the reason why I love this explanation is, is because this is one of the only times in the Bible that we have Jesus explaining the inexplainable. Right? Because I spent, i tell you what, I spent ages on this verse, right? Ages. I armed an art over it. I, I, I went back to the original text. I cross-referenced it to other translations. And then it hit me. We aren't meant to understand the actual process of being born of spirit, right? We're not actually meant to understand what it looks like to be birthed by the spirit. It literally says in the verse that we read, it says, you cannot explain how people are born of spirit. We're not meant to understand the process of being birthed by the spirit. All we're meant to understand is how to become born again and what we gain from it. Right, this middle part, this, this process in the middle, that's just where we're meant to trust in the Lord that he knows what he's doing. And spoiler alert, he knows what he's doing. You know, I also found great comfort in the next verse, right, where Nicodemus says immediately in response to this, he says, how are these things possible? You know, I feel like me and Nikki D had a wee bit of a bonding moment there. But, you know, just to, as, we, as we finish up with tonight's message, um, I would love to come back to the concluding verses of our passage and see if we can just kind of link this whole thing back together. Um, so we're looking at verse 19, 20, and 21. And that says, God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light so others can see they are doing what God wants. God's light is Jesus, and, and darkness is sin. And then we have this other term, evil. 
And like, I don't know about you guys, but, but when I hear the word evil, I just think of the worst of the worst, right? Like my mind immediately goes to like murderers and, and like corrupted dictators or, or thieves or whatever it might be. It goes to the worst of the worst. But, but you know, evil isn't actually just talking about that, you know, that, those group of people. It's not just talking about the worst of the worst. It's talking about all those who are putting things of this world above Jesus on their list. And while it's a convicting thought, sometimes this is us. You know, I've, I've had my fair, fair share of times where this happens to me, you know. But the good news is that Jesus has come to renew and restore us so that when we come to the light and we, we can show the people of this world what God is doing and what God can do through us. And you know, Jesus, he isn't this, you know, a one and done kind of guy. He's there for you, ready to restore and renew you every single time you need him. But in order for your relationship with him to grow, we can't be one and done kind of people either, eh? Like we have to, we have to be in constant pursuit of, of, of Jesus. We have to pursue him before everything in our life. We, we give our lives to the Lord once, but then we have to give it to him again and again and again every single day. And it's when we do this that we truly see renewal in our lives, that we truly see this restoration that Jesus has in store for us. You know, if you decide to, to um, you know, if you decide to give your life to the Lord and then decide to give it again and again and again, you'll truly experience blessings like you never have before. Um, and you'll never regret it, eh? It'll be the greatest decision you ever make. And I've often at times said that to people. Um, I often say it, you know, at the end of, end of my messages, but I often say that to people, and, and I've actually always struggled with the, 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 like, the explanation of it, right? Like, I've actually struggled to tell people what it truly means to never regret or truly means to make the greatest decision in your life. Uh, because, you know, I could tell you about all the blessings that the Lord has given me. I could tell you about all the miracles I've seen. I could tell you about all the healing I've received physically, mentally, and spiritually. I could tell you about all the good things that the Lord has done in my life, and we would be here for hours, right? I could tell you all those things. And while they might greatly encourage you, it's not going to be the reason why you get your salvation, right? It's not going to be the thing that brings true joy into your life. And so I've always struggled with this explanation of, of what it looks like to, to never regret the decision. But you know, um, this year I have walked through something that has given me a true explanation of what it means to never regret it and to never look back. And it's this. Two months ago, my dad passed away. And you know, the, these have been the darkest days of my entire life. My heart just feels ripped to pieces. You know, and, and it feels like sadness is a close friend. But even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even when I walk through the hardest days in my life, 
I can still wake up in the morning with joy in my heart. I can still be excited about my future. I can still acknowledge the Lord's blessings in my life. I can still preach the gospel. I can still proclaim God's goodness in my life. I still have a direction and a purpose because I am still of a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. I am still God's special possession and He has done more than enough for me. He has called me out of the darkness and into the light. He has pulled me from the pits of hell into the highest mountaintop of heaven. And I can tell you and stand before you today and say that if you give your life to Jesus again and again and again, every single time you come to Him, He will restore you and renew you and you will have joy in your life. This is what it looks like to be a, true, like to be a child of God. And I know this now, and, and I just, you know, I want everyone to, to know that as well. Like, Jesus is my restoration. My testimony is a, is a living proof of that, eh? Oh. So, you know, just as we close tonight, and I'll invite the, the worship team back up to, back up to join me. Um, you know, we feel it's appropriate to, to at, the, at the end of this message, just hold a, hold a time of response. Um, and, and what I mean by that is that, you know, if you've been, you know, hearing these messages and, and hearing the good news, or, you know, maybe this is the first time that you've ever heard the good news, and, and you're thinking to yourself, hey, I, I want a piece of that, that pie, eh? Like, I, I want to have that in my life. I really want Jesus to restore and renew me. And maybe it's for the first time, or maybe it's for the hundredth time, you know? I want to create a space where we can actually do that, right? So in a, in a moment, I'm just going to ask that um, everyone bows their heads and closes their eyes. And then, um, you know, I'm not going to ask anything crazy of you. I'm not going to tell you to, to get up and run a, run a lap of the room. I'm not going to give you the mic and tell you to confess your sins. Nothing crazy like that, eh? It's, it's, it's not going to be crazy like that. All I'm going to ask is that for those of you in the room who want to either commit your life to the Lord or recommit your life to the Lord once again, that you would just simply put your hand up. And the reason why we do that is because, you know, I believe that it's honoring to God eh, to, to, to take an actual step of faith, right, and to show him that we mean this, right? We mean this decision that we're making because it's, it's a massive decision. It's the decision that, that truly brings you joy to your life and truly brings you salvation. It's a big moment. So, um, yeah, just as we all, we, all clo- we all bow our heads and close our eyes, you know, and I just want to speak to the person in the room who is, you know, the person in the room who is, who is on the final legs of it. You came to church tonight and you, you thought to yourself, you know, this is it. This is the last time I, I want to come to church. And, and if, this isn't, if there isn't a moment for me, I'm, I'm gone. Whoever you are in here, God loves you. And Jesus wants to renew you. This is a moment for, for just between you and God. It's, it's nothing to do with the people around you. It's nothing to do with me. It's just between you and God. And so I would just ask right now that all those in the room that, that want to commit their life to the Lord for the first time, or perhaps you're seeking that renewal and restoration from Jesus once again, that right now you would just place one of your hands up in the air. It's awesome. 
you know, just as we keep our eyes closed, if your heart's beating out of your chest and you're trying to make a decision of whether this is your moment or not, I'm here to tell you this is your moment. That's God calling out to you to make a decision. Awesome. Well, we're just going to keep our eyes closed and we're just going to all pray together. Um, and, and what we're going to do is I'll, we'll do the classic I say a line, you say a line, and uh, we'll do it that way. Dear Lord, thank you for the sacrifice you made on the cross. Thank you that because of the sacrifice, my sins have been forgiven. Lord, today, I receive my salvation. I receive my renewal. And I declare with my mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. And all of God's people said, Amen. Hey, let's put our hands together for those in the room that, that made a decision tonight. That's incredible. Hey, if you made that for the first uh, that decision for the first time, I really do encourage you to to tell someone about it. Um, there'll be some people down the front here, and also come and come and talk to me. I would love to pray uh, pray for you. Um, but that's all from me tonight. Um, another thing I want to encourage you to do is to pick up one of the study guides that we've got printed out on the info desk. Um, there's some there's some more questions in there if you want to dive deeper into tonight's word. Um, and and yeah, but thanks again, everyone, and stay blessed.